Christopher sits down to go to the bathroom, and when he comes out, his wife gives him a little piece of candy. This is The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. Why don't we just start, you know, have the regular first five or seven seconds and then get ready. Right it, it actually just started, the podcast. It's already started. Oh, we're going right now? Yeah, it's already on. Like, people hear it. Like, this is it. No, you're, you know, come on. No, come serious. Go ahead. This is it. <laughs> I don't want it to start until I start it. I, well, it, it's already started, so start. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody, episode seven. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm still excited. The adrenaline is still pumping from yesterday, from Sunday, the final round of the Masters. Tiger Woods going back-to-back back with green jackets. Woo! Man. My God, that putt on 18. Oh, it, man. It went around the cup, and then it pops out, and then it sits on the edge of the cup, and it, then it drops. Oh, my God. I got oh. goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps just right now thinking about it. I know. And then now we're talking about Tiger uh, catching Jack again for most career majors. It's just unbelievable. Man. That's that's just fantastic. And, back uh, to back majors at the how old is he? Uh, old enough to know better. I don't like know. 43, 42? Like forty three, forty two. Yeah. All right, that didn't really happen. Okay, you remember, boys and girls, when we were actually talking about exciting sports, but uh, but hey, we gotta we gotta deal with reality here. But you know, even in the coronavirus age, we still bring you uh, a jam packed. 30 minutes of excitement every week. And, and we have a couple of guests lined up today that you're really going to enjoy, uh, especially this first guy. Wait, um, so Tiger didn't really win the, no, the Masters? No, we, we were just fooling. I wonder uh, if there's I, anybody listening to us, like one person, because it's not two people. There might be one person that has just been so out of it and has no idea of anything going on and actually believed us. Is, do you think there's one person listening? I bet there's one, literally one. You know, some guy who's been in, in a cave hibernating for the last three months and uh, has and the first books. And the first thing he happened to do is just check out this podcast. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. He set his alarm, as a matter of fact, for this podcast. Um, our first guest today is, uh, listen, our, our fans who, who are Levitard Show fans love this guy. It is the legendary Stu Gox is on our podcast today for a good lengthy interview talking about a bunch of different stuff. Uh, and we also have, um, we're going to talk to the guy who invented the genre of sports business journalism. He literally did. His name is Rick Horo. And, and we're going to talk to him a lot about the financial impact on sports of the coronavirus uh, sports shutdown. And it, it's just, he's going to quantify it for us. And, um, you know, we want to, during this coronavirus stay at home thing, we want to do a lot more than just talk to you about, you know, what we're doing and staying at home and all that we want to today we're going to talk about the financial impact i think in the future we want to talk about the the psychological impact on on everybody sports fans and and others so um two really great guests today could you make the argument that Stu Gatz is the biggest guest on this podcast so far i would say in terms of um in terms of popularity yeah i don't know i mean we've had mina kimes and a couple of espn people uh, ray hudson yeah, we had Rocky Ray Hudson, but uh, listen, Stugatz is beloved. I mean, the Stugatz army is is just, you know, rising as one right now, uh, getting ready to listen to this podcast because Stugatz truly is beloved. He, you could make an argument that that 
he's the star of that show as much as Dan is. I mean, I think that's pretty well known, actually. I don't think even Dan would deny that. Oh, really? Okay. All right. I thought I was insulting Dan. Damn it. But yeah, so we're going to get to those guests in a minute. But uh, right now, I, I want to talk just, just for a second on a couple of things. This, uh, this reported uh, baseball plan to play all of its games in the Phoenix area, move all 30 teams to Phoenix, that's just bizarre and almost barbaric to, to ask or demand, really, that baseball players leave their families for four and a half months during this pandemic crisis to go play games across the country. It's just, it, it should never happen. I don't think it will happen, but the idea that they're considering it is just almost uh, immoral. The, the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, Tua Tagovailoa, the, the poor kid, the Alabama quarterback. Uh, he's, he's making an extra effort to let everybody know he's healthy. He says he's 100%. His two surgeons say he's 100%. Uh, an independent NFL medical guy who tested him on behalf of all teams said how impressed he was with his recovery, but yet you still have these curmudgeons in the media and, and these headline seeker analysts who continue to say, oh, what a risk. Uh, that could be a disaster. No way he should go in the top 10. That's BS. He's arguably the best quarterback with the biggest upside in this draft, more than Joe Burrow for me, or at least comparable. And, and the idea that the Miami Dolphins with a chance to get him at number five overall wouldn't take him is just ludicrous to me. It's comically nonsensical. Tua deserves a little bit of a break. If, if his surgeons are saying that he's going to be fully ready and he's 100% and, and he's okay whenever training camps start, uh, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that. Trust his medical team on that. Don't, don't trust uh, some analyst, uh, far-flung analyst, who's just guessing that because of his injury history, he's a risk when he might not be. Um, I just got excited. I'm sorry, I'm having a moment right now. It just hit me that we're less than two weeks away from the draft and we actually have some sort of sporting event coming up soon. Yeah, be, between pretending that the Masters just happened and looking forward to a virtual draft, uh, we're, we're excited about sports again. This is fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, enough of that. Let's bring on the guy you're waiting for. This is Stu Gotts, and uh, we had a ball talk to him. We had a, a great, fun conversation. Uh, really, truly enjoyed it. And uh, by the way, in true Stu Gotts fashion, he did keep us waiting about 10, 15 minutes before um, coming into this thing, because why? He was walking his dog. Anyway, uh, let's bring him on and enjoy. Hello. Hello, boys. It's dog walking Stugatz. Yes, it is, Greg Cody. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, oh, I hear the dog. The dog is saying, thank you, Daddy, for that beautiful walk. <laughs> no, he's barking because he wants a treat. Ah, <laughs> oh, these dogs and their treats, am I right? Yeah, enough. <laughs> yeah, they, um... I give you a treat, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't I give you two treats. That's the problem. That's that's me and my wife's problem. There he is. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Believe me, my I'm surprised my dog's not barking right now because anybody who drives by on a bike or something, my dog immediately starts barking for no reason same, whatsoever. Same with mine. Anything that anything that comes within its eyesight, it's like he barks at it. We would like to welcome the legendary Stu Gotts onto our podcast today where Honored to have him, and, and we hope that his presence and, and uh, his Stugatz army will 
uh, give us a huge bump in, in ratings and, and numbers. Say, can you, can you deliver that, Stugas? Can you make a guarantee? Well, now I realize why I'm on. I mean, <laughs> it <laughs> no, to me, it's because of the following I have. Uh, well, I, 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 listen, I guaranteed, listen, I guaranteed Marty Smith that when he came on my podcast, his book would become a New York Times bestseller, and it did. Okay, and so really? I, yeah, I pro, I can't promise I'll make you number one, but I promise this will be the most listened to episode you've ever done, Greg. Okay? Oh. Greg, <laughs> wow. weren't you just telling me before we started this where your book ranks on the bestsellers list? Yes, my Fins at Fifty book, which I wrote a few <laughs> years ago. Um, I, every once in a while, I look, I look just to see if if numbers come that high. Yeah. And uh, the last time I looked, my book, among all books, uh, ranked approximately one million two hundred thousand. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> so that's uh, so so I made the the New York Times no seller list. <laughs> uh, You're not even in the top 1 million list. <laughs> well, I, I have been. You know, when the book was new at the peak, I think we might have uh, peaked in the in the 700,000s, you know. You know what, Greg? I should not criticize, I should not judge as someone who's been flirting with the idea of writing a book for now 5 years, Ooh. I think. Uh, at least you've written a book. Congratulations. I mean, well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could. I guess you could it call it. It seems like a complete I mean, waste of time. But congratulations <laughs> to you. <laughs> it has pages, and somewhere my name is on it. So I guess it's a book. Um, what uh, you 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 were walking your dog just before we came on the air? Uh, first of all, what is your dog's name, and is that your official one of your official domesticized uh, duties during the uh, pandemic? Uh, it is. Uh, it also keeps me sane. Uh, just just be, having the ability to go outside, clear my head, walk the dog, which I normally do anyway. His name is Finnegan, by the way. We call him Finny. We adopted him. And we love him. And so, yeah, it's, you know, life has stopped for most of us, but, but not for dogs. Like, I think dogs are all confused right now. Like, why is my owner home all the time? What is going on? It's messing with my workflow. It's messing with my nap flow. And so, uh, yeah, but that's, it's always been my responsibility to walk the dog. I enjoy doing it. Uh, I get exercise. The dog gets exercise. Uh, but now it just allows me to get outside. <laughs> I'm just looking for any excuse to go outside. And so walking the dog gives me that excuse. I love doing it. You love a good walking of the dog, don't you? Yeah, I'll, um, if, I'm, if I'm feeling outdoorsy, I will put the dog on a leash and, and walk her. Uh, Riley, but um, you know, if I'm not feeling uh, energetic, I'll just open the back door and let her crap all over my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's what my wife does. Yeah, you know, it's for it's fertilizer. That's the way I justify it. Greg, you don't walk the dog though. If you do walk the dog, you walk it like you stay on your property. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like you don't walk that. That's not a dog walk. A dog walk is walking like away from your house and then journeying back. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to be one of these people who's carrying around a, a plastic bag on his hand so that he can pick up the dog's uh, doing uh, from other people's lawn. I don't want my dog to crap on my neighbor's lawn, so I just keep him on my own property. You know, we have a corner lot. It's a fair amount of land for the dog to roam, so, you know. Yeah, but Greg, I mean, to Chris's point, technically you're not walking the dog. Like, when I walk my dog, I'm going, sometimes I'll walk my dog for a mile, like all the way around this big circle that we live in. Oh, wow. Uh, but at the very least, I'm going like a half mile. It's like a good 10 to 12 minute walk. You got to walk the dog. Invest wow. in the dog, Greg. And I, feel, and I feel like, Greg, you would like this because, and Stu has talked about this before, part of this walk is surveying the neighborhood. Greg, you like a good making sure yes. everything is in order in your neighborhood, so I feel like a walk would be yes. good for you. 
it could be good, but you know, I have yet to hear my dog uh, complain about a lack of exercise. So you know, when, I, <laughs> when I start getting that complaint, I'm going to, you know, take it up at the next uh, board meeting. But you know what I wonder is dogs are pretty keen, right? We, we give dogs a lot of credit for having a, you know, a great sense of smell and sense of eyesight and all. I wonder if any part of a dog's intelligence these days is going, why the hell are all these people, people around all of a sudden? Right. It used to be just me alone in my house. I had great nap time, and now there's so much activity. Do you think a dog thinks of that at all? I don't. It's a great question. It's a question we should ask Ron McGill uh, because I'm serious. My, no, my dog is barking at an all-time level. My dog is completely thrown off. Normally what happens is the kids go to school, I go to work, my wife does whatever it is that she does, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and my dog, Beeline, like the second we all leave, just a straight line to my daughter Rachel's room where he proceeds to nap for until we all get home again. And so it's been his like everything's been thrown off because times where he's normally sleeping, we're all home. And so he's not sleeping. And so he's been barking at all time. Love. He's very cranky. So yes, I think they noticed, but they're also Greg, Tell me about this. If your dog is smart, here's what I believe happens with my dog. My wife does the same thing as you. Chris, she opens up the sliding back door. lets the dog run out. And the dog knows the only way that he's getting a treat is if he, if number two, right? Takes a crap, right? <laughs> I think my dog runs outside, gives the appearance that he's taking a crap, runs back in. My wife is tricked by it every time, and she just gives him a treat. <laughs> that's, uh, I think that's what's going on. Smart dog. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's a smart, smart dog. Smarter than its owner. I mean. <laughs> that's a smart dog. The dog holds it in once gets a treat anyway, and then yes. does it for real and doubles up on the treat. <laughs> exactly right. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. That's Finnegan's brilliant over there. Why do you guys prioritize the pooping? Like, why not just any bathroom? Like, why does it have to be poop? Because you don't want him to poop in the house? Okay, I think a dog can pee. Uh, like, a dog can pee as often as a dog wants to pee. I mean, I, when I walk my dog, like, I, I actually talk to my dog. I'm like, really? You're going to pee again? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? How much do you have left? And, uh... They always seem to have a little laugh, you know? That, that's actually at night sometimes before I go to bed. I could have just peed a half hour ago, so I don't really have to pee. But I'm about to go to bed, so I always have to pee right before I go to bed. So sometimes I don't even have to pee. So I'm like barely, I'm like, and you like just get out like, you know, maybe this is too TMI. But yeah, no, that happens fine. to me but sometimes. That, but, now ima- but now imagine, Chris, now imagine, because you're fat Chris, now imagine <laughs> if there was a treated steak. I'll pee right now. Exactly. <laughs> that would be great. Christopher sits down to go to the bathroom, and when he comes out, his wife gives him a little piece of candy. Brush his tummy. <laughs> good boy. Uh, yeah, good, good boy. Um, what's uh, Sugas, what's your household like these days? Is it just you and Abby and the two girls, or do you have, like, parents and in-laws with you, or what's the deal? So, no, we have, uh, it's, it's just me, Abby, the kids, and, and Finney. And, um, and so, no, I, I've gone out of my way. You know, I'll, I offer to go up to my parents. My parents got very lucky. They have a place in New York. They have a place down here in Delray. And they were about to head back up to New York. And I, I asked them to stay down here because New York City, the, the cases were growing. The death scary. toll was growing. Yeah, it's scary. Plus, you're in that city. They, they have a nice apartment, but... I think apartment living, house living, South Florida, the weather's nice. My dad could jog outside, so they get very lucky. So I'll offer to go up there and help them uh, if they need groceries, if they need anything done around the house. Uh, they have not taken me up on that offer yet because my dad likes to get outside. 
So they're up in uh, they're up in, in Delray. Uh, we're down here, and no one's really come to the house, and we haven't really gone anywhere. You know, we're just trying we're just trying to eliminate as much of that as as possible because I do believe it's insane. Like we should be guessing at this. The doctors are telling us to stay inside, and they're telling us to stay away from your parents, and uh, especially our parents. And so that part of it is tricky. But but I'm going to listen to whatever it is they're telling me to do. I'm not going to guess. You know? Oh yeah. So no. yeah. Yeah, but what's keeping me sane, Greg, is doing this. Like, doing the, like having, I think Chris could speak to this, right? Having something to do for three to four hours every single day, which is our radio show, certainly helps me get through the day, helps my wife uh, get through the day, because it, it kind of feels like work a little bit from this standpoint. I come down into this office where I'm doing this with you guys right now. I come down here. I don't know, Chris, we're usually logging on somewhere between 9 and 9.30, right? And into the Zoom room, yeah. and then we're done at one o'clock. And then I, I tend to either uh, be a guest on some podcast or do my own podcast. And then I come out of this little laboratory at like three thirty, which is what time I normally get home from work. And so I think just the ability—I'm grateful to have something to do every day. I can't imagine if I didn't have something to do every day. And I think my wife is grateful as well because I'm staying out of her hair. I, I am telling you. This is having the ability, this Comrex unit is what's keeping our marriage together. And it is, it's saving our marriage. And so uh, we're trying to make it as normal as possible. Or even though I'm here, uh, I think for five to six hours a day, it feels like I'm not here, according to my wife, which is a good thing. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what the dynamic is on who's driving who crazy. Or are you driving the two girls crazy or vice versa? Uh, how is that uh, working out? Uh, I think... Listen, we're lucky, Greg, because our girls are, are 16 years old. So I'm not, we're not really asking. Actually, for the first time in their lives, we're, we're actually telling them, hey, you can do exactly what it is you want to do. You can sit in bed. You can stay on social media all day. And you can sit around and watch Netflix. I mean, that's, you know, like, it's like heaven for them. And so the fact that they're 16 has been helpful because they're mature enough to understand the situation, deal with the situation. And at 16, let's be honest, pandemic or no pandemic, they don't want me around. Like, they, don't want me in their, they don't want me in their hair. And so uh, they, they've dealt with it okay. Like right now, I can tell you right now, one of my daughters is in the back. She's working on her lacrosse game. And the other one is, uh, is studying for a test. And she's doing, it, she's doing it in her room. So I'm certain I'm the one who's annoying them more because, Greg, you can speak to this. From a father's standpoint, uh, it's great to be – it's great to have – if there's one positive out of all of this – it is great to have uh, a lot of family time. I've spent more time with them over the last four or five weeks than I have over the last couple of years, which is just meaningful time. Not, you know, meaningful walks around the block, good conversations, watch a TV show together. I introduced my daughter to who wants to be a millionaire last time. That was oh, pretty fun. She enjoyed it. Classic. Yeah, she, yeah, she loved it. It was great. So, I'm, uh, I'm but curious. I'm cer- but I'm, cer- but I'm, I'm certain I'm annoying the <laughs> I'm actually curious their mindset not to take this to a serious place but like they're 16 so they're at that age where they could have the attitude of man I just want to go see like are they accepting all of this and like realizing how serious it is or are they still like bugging you to want to go hang out with friends and stuff I think the fact that all their friends they now know that their friends are quarantined as well and so it would be much more difficult if their friends were out and about doing stuff and we were saying no, but right. all the parents are saying no, right. as we should. So they're and just so like that, FaceTiming. So they're just like TikToking with them and stuff. So they're doing They're stuff. doing Zooms, they're TikToking, yeah. they're FaceTiming, they're doing Snapchats, they know how to work this stuff better than we do. And so, yeah, they're fine with it. You know, I'll tell you a quick story. Like, this is funny, guys. 
it's not funny, but five weeks ago, because I have become that guy, I've become Mike Leach down in the Keys, who is once a day surveying my entire neighborhood yeah. to make sure no one's standing too close to each other. <laughs> like, no one's, <laughs> you know, like we have these little golf huts. You guys have been up to my house playing yeah. golf. Like those little golf huts where, you know, it's community water, and I see people actually filling up their car. I'm like, what are you doing? I'll drive right up to them. What are you doing? You know how many fingerprints are on that thing? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and, and so I've uh, I've become that guy. I do like that though, Greg. Where it seems like the, one of the cool things, if you guys, I'm certain both of you guys have noticed this, is all the interaction on social media. And it's because we all have time on our hands. It's it's yeah. you can because we have the time. People, celebrities, are sitting down with sports anchors with people they wouldn't normally sit, and they're doing Zoom chats and. It just seems like everyone is being so kind to each other, so accessible to one another, uh, and everyone trying to help each other out. And I hope that's something that carries over once this is over, but I think we're all smart enough to know that within two weeks of this thing being over, we'll all go back to being complete <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. Do, do you guys think that there's going to be, like, a, a real change in the way, just as, like, a society, like, with shaking of hands. Like, I saw something about this Dr. Fauci guy is saying yes. that, like, going forward, we should just stop shaking hands. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, Greg, being, you know, back in my day, old school Greg, uh, you shake hands, Greg. Like, how do you feel about that? I'm torn on it with Fauci saying uh, no more handshaking. Like, how do we end tennis matches now? <laughs> <laughs> or golf. That's a, that's a good question. Uh, right. Because the thing, I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't particularly miss being in big crowds and going to concerts and games. Sure. What I miss is like being in the studio Tuesday with you guys and, and not feeling afraid to, to be closer than six feet from somebody and right. not worrying if I slap somebody on the back. You know, I, I miss the interpersonal uh, closeness a lot more than I miss the, the big crowds. That's a good point. I miss going to a restaurant. I just yeah. want to like go out to eat on a Friday night, like have a beer. And like, and I was in over the weekend, I actually took takeout from a restaurant and I wore a mask and I felt really, I felt insecure about doing it. Cause I felt like there were people looking at me that, and, but obviously I'm still going to do it cause it's a safe thing to do, but I just felt right. weird wearing a mask, but I went and got takeout. It's just an empty, sad restaurant. That's normally packed. It's just, I just miss going out to eat. So you miss going out to eat. Greg doesn't miss big crowds, but he misses camaraderie. He misses – because I'm a big hugger and a handshaker as well. Like, uh, yeah. if, you're taking, if you're taking the handshake away from me, you're taking the hug away from me. Exactly. I'm, assu I'm assuming, right, that's, that's, that's even more dangerous, I, I would think. What do I miss? I, I mean, I miss playing golf. It's that, yeah. like, to, to be here staring at a golf course that I can't play at. Um, that's torture. Yeah, it's torture. But I understand why. Um, I understand why – why we can't play golf. But here's the funny thing. I was talking about this with Mike on the local hour. I think all the things we miss. So, Chris, let me ask you this. You miss going to a restaurant, right? I guarantee you that when this is over, and like the first time you go out, if the wait is 30, 35 yeah. minutes, you'll be, no, you're going to be fine, right. Right? right? Wait two weeks. Fast forward. <laughs> Pandemic is over. Fast right. forward. I was telling Mike, I feel like we're all saying, hey, I'm going to be nicer to my doctor and nicer to my nurse and nicer to this and nicer to that. And I am telling you, 14 days after this thing is over, if I am waiting more than 30 minutes in my doctor's office for an appointment, <laughs> I am going to light that secretary up. I mean, that is it. Why, <laughs> why do we always have to wait so long in doctor's offices? Like, why can't they get the timing better of these things? I don't, I don't have an answer. Are you saying doctors are running a scam? Is that what you're doing? I'm <laughs> just saying. That's, I wouldn't say that right now. I'd wait till 14 days after this is over, okay? <laughs> <laughs> to 
distancing, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> We're right in the middle of the pandemic right now. <laughs> right. Bad I need your doctor. <laughs> Just ranting against doctors. Greg, I'm interested. Like, how are we going to replace the handshake if indeed we need to? Like, are we going to bow like samurais? <laughs> like, we're going to um, we're going to touch elbows. <laughs> Even touch that. Tip- I don't think Fauci wants that. I, I don't, no. I think, no. Uh, I think Fauci wants us to never touch one another again. I, I think that's what he wants. I just had a terrible thought that I don't even know if I want to air me saying this, but do you think Fauci's kind of enjoying all this? I mean... I'm going to forget that I said I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Well, I was going to answer yes. He's he's the king. Like, Greg, if he is is Time Magazine's person of the year, are you going to be surprised? No. You know, this thought has already raced across my mind. I think Time Magazine's person of the year is going to be doctors and nurses right. or, you know, the, the frontline medical people during, right. I think it's going to be sort of a group honor, but yes. if it were an individual, it would be Fauci. There's no question. Yes. I mean, he's I, been, he's been reassuring to a lot of people. He has been, uh, you know, but, he's, but, he's the one I want to hear when, when they do that daily um, summary. Yes, he is. Uh, what, what, <laughs> yes, he is. He is the one guy that you want to hear from. But to answer Chris's question, is he enjoying this? I mean, Chris, he has parlayed this into an Instagram Q and A with Steph Curry. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> That's the peak. I mean, you don't get better than that. <laughs> God's is strong in this doctor. <laughs> but he is the one guy. Like that's the guy you want to hear from on a daily basis, right? He is. He is the guy. Oh, so. he's he's America's doctor at this point. Yes, he yeah. is. Uh, if he was, if he was Times, you know, Time Magazine Man of the Year, would not. In fact, I, I would say right now he's the front runner for that for all those yeah. awards. Yeah. yeah, it could be until Ooh, Bill Gates comes and saves us all. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is awkward. Uh, it's Chris and Greg only here now. Stu Gatz is gone. Well, he's not gone. We had such a good conversation with Stu Gatz that. We couldn't get it into one episode. So you're going to hear the rest of that interview with Stugatz next week. And we get into a lot more good stuff. Stugatz and Greg both get into Dan Levitard, both the good and the bad. And it's a really good conversation. A lot more fun than we have with Stugatz next week. But why I'm jumping in here and you're not hearing Greg Cody explain all this is because I tried to explain to him how to kind of like how we were setting up this interview and the explanation that was needed. And it took him, we've been here for an hour, folks. It's my Friday evening. This thing comes out on Monday. I'm trying to get into the drink. Chris is trying to claw it up, and I've been here a half hour extra, Greg Cody not knowing how to transition from an interview in the middle of it and just explain to the audience, hey, we have plenty more with Stu Gatz, and you're going to hear it next week. You know what? You're probably right. Um, I'm still a beginner at this. I'm only seven pods old, but uh, <laughs> what I can do what I can do all by myself right now is introduce our next guest. Uh, be enlightened and entertained, the creator of sports business. This is Rick Coro. We're happy to welcome Rick Coro to the podcast. He's a, a well-known expert in the business of sports and sports business. In fact, in, in my mind, Rick, you were one of the forerunners of the whole concept of sports business and sort of combining the two entities, right? Well, thanks for having me. Forerunner, I guess it's a good way of putting it. It beats... Uh you know, dead pioneer or something like that. So you know, <laughs> the interesting thing about it is we just put out a book called Sport Business Handbook, and it's all about the 50 years of the sports business with 100 industry leaders, Paul Tagliabue, Gary Bettman, Steve Ross, Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, local fame, 
writing about their experience 50 years. So um, it's a legacy book for me. These are all friends and I appreciate doing it. But one of the things I like to tell, and I'll do it really quickly, is when I was at Harvard Law School in the late 70s, I was doing a thesis on hockey fighting, on the criminal law and sports violence. And then Dean Jim Vorenberg at Harvard said, I love the idea, but there's no such thing as sports law or sports business. So forget it. So my deal was do a bet with this guy and play squash with him. If I won, he would sanction the thesis and that would begin the business. If he won, I'd shut up and be a normal corporate tax student. Now, Jim Vorenberg himself was 84 years old when I played him. And so he go, okay, didn't move very well. You would expect him to. One sanctioned third year thesis, sports business, turned into a book and the rest is they may say is history. So you could say that I kind of helped define the field. And if I lost, maybe we wouldn't have sports business today. How about that for being arrogant? There you go. So, so your entire life pivoted over the fact that you won a squash game against an 84 year old man. Very well done. Only you have the temerity and talent to put it into those words, but okay. yes. <laughs> Congratulations. Rick, um, the, the whole idea of the economic impact on sports of this whole coronavirus, put that in, in layman's terms for us. Like, like, what is the impact here? Unprecedented, unheard of, unbelievable, on whatever you want to use. Now, I have defined the sports business, and I can do it because I have all, I'm old, so it's a $1.3 trillion business, and that comes from a lot of places. I would also say that 60 to 70% of the business right now is absolutely, totally, completely shut down. So $600, $700, 800000000 million is lost. How do you define lost? Well, the Wimbledon event canceled. The many golf tournaments now canceled. March Madness canceled. You can't make it up. You can grant eligibility, Greg, to these players for another year. That mitigates the damage, but you certainly can't make it up. It's a snapshot in time. We're never going to recoup that revenue. So the NCAA is distributing $280 million, not a billion. But this is all evolving. We really don't know how it is going to happen, what the impact's going to be, but it continues to be something that no one could have ever imagined. We're, we're speaking with Rick Horro, author of The Sports one of my, Business. One of my creditors. One of my creditors. Don't worry about it. Keep going. <laughs> we're speaking with Rick Horro, author of The Sports Business Handbook. LeBron James said something to the effect, um, I don't want to play sports with no fans. Sports with no cheering crowd is not even sports. I tend to agree with him. If, if I'm watching the resumption of NBA uh, and it's televised and there's no cheering, and, and you hear nothing but sneakers in the basketball. I don't know if I want to watch that. Is that sports? Is that something that's going to be uh, ravenously consumed? Yes, it's going to be ravenously consumed by people because I'm tired of watching those Beverly Hill, Billy's reruns and everything else. But I also understand that every league has a tipping point. And LeBron James, with all due respect, is not going to make this decision. You know, he can talk and people can listen. But I think it comes down to this. Does the NBA think about two or three extra months of not having games, or do they have some games indoors without fans for two or three months and then finish the season? It's that economic tipping point, regardless of what LeBron James says. Among all the sports and, and leagues, which are the most vulnerable to not being able to come out of this financially? I'm thinking of you know the WNBA's, uh, some of the lesser fringe leagues that, that aren't the NFL 
Um, what leagues are in most jeopardy, do you think? Well, you know, there are a lot of, and you don't want to call them fringe leagues, but they have their own niche. A good friend of mine with women's professional soccer just made a major investment. And how do they get to their World Cup and their next Olympics, notwithstanding the backing that's being put into that league post Megan Rapino, for example. The WNBA is a good example, although they're backed in many ways by NBA owners and NBA arenas. But there are other leagues that are, you would call them niche, so would I. And, you know, there are issues. NBA uh, just raised its, its, its credit limit for its franchises. So it doesn't just mean the smaller leagues. It means, it means the bigger leagues as well. So, listen, here's the other thing which is interesting in September, October, November. Here's the trade-off of all of this. You and I will be in front of a TV and we'll t- text each other, remember when. We're going to have 30 different choices of major events in September, October, November, because they're going to try to squeeze as many things as they possibly can into the dial. So we have that to look forward to. Uh, is there going to be a glut of sports, and is it an oversaturation? Yeah, but it certainly beats the alternative. Rick, when you talk about a massive loss of revenue combined with what's going to be a tremendous appetite to have sports back again, that sounds to me like leagues and teams and sports are going to have a great excuse to raise ticket prices at the very least. Well, you could say that, but then the other case is we're going to have people who are more excited about watching games on television than they ever were before. Plus, some people are going to say, look, if I'm over 65, there may be a risk of going to a stadium with other people. So don't tell me to pay higher prices if I've got to risk my health as well. That's a fair point. Um, finally, uh, is, is this whole thing going to result in any contraction of sports or of teams and leagues, do you think? Example, a poor drawing team like the Miami Marlins, are they at greater risk of not coming out of this than some other teams? Let me put it this way. I'm hoping Derek Jeter listens to this because maybe he hadn't listened to a whole lot in the past. You need to be much more creative because you can't take fans and revenues for granted anymore. There is no subsidy automatically coming out of this beyond just the stadium itself. So every team in every sport is on record being absolutely sure you are incredibly creative right after this is over or you may not have a second chance. Good point. We're speaking with Rick Horo. Um, search out his podcast. Find him on NBC and Reuters. Rick, thanks a lot. Really appreciate your time and, and uh, your expertise. Anytime, man. All right. Thank you, Rick Horo, And thank you, podcast family, for coming back and joining us on episode seven. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Subscribe, rate, and review, whatever order you want to do it please do it. And um, you definitely want to come back next week because we have part two of our Stugatz conversation. And you don't want to miss that. Until then, ladies and gentlemen and others, I thank you very much. And we'll see you back here next week on the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. White Claw time. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.